podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and action. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Inside Try Show. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Try Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week you're actually going to be hearing from my mum, that'll be a bit later. She did her first triathlon at the age of 71 the other week, which I think is pretty damn inspiring. So I did record a quick conversation with her, which I thought you might find motivational or motivating too. This episode though is all about bike fitting and why it is worth the investment regardless of your goals. I think sometimes it's very easy to think, oh no, I can't justify a bike fit or I'm not good enough to have a bike fit or anything like that. I'm telling you right now, you absolutely are and it will help you in many ways, primarily comfort you should be comfortable on a bike. Okay. So Ryan Morley is the person that I went to see for a bike fit. He, he's actually based near me here in Wrexham in North Wales. He got into it after a heart condition meant that he had to give up his own cycling dreams. So we cover everything from finding the right saddle to pedaling technique, where to fit your cleats to where you should put your hands on a bike. I learnt loads, and I think you will too. I've set up my own little sort of, you know, I call it a performance centre, but um, yeah, specialise in bike fitting and just sitting and talking bikes with people all, all day, every day. And have you have you always been into bikes? Yes, yeah, I've sort of discovered cycling through my, my stepdad when I was 12 or 13, and yeah, tried triathlon, and unfortunately it wasn't for me. Um I'm too tall to run. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, just fell in love with bikes. And yeah, what's better than tinkering with bikes all day? How long have you actually been doing bike fitting for people? Uh, so I started, I sort of did my education just before the lockdowns uh, and then wasn't allowed to do anything. So properly started, you know, officially after, you know, as soon as we could, so it was like March 2020. Um, and then that sort of progressed through doing it uh, while working at a bike shop um, because you know, it was nice and low risk. I then invested in a load of equipment myself and at the start of this year, I thought I'd take the massive jump and go, oh, well, you know, in a tough economic climate, let's be self-employed. Um, so, yeah, then set up this own, my little unit on the Wrexham Industrial Estate and spent all my money that I had on setting this place up. Uh, and, yeah, now I'm really glad I did it. I've got my own little space and, yeah, it's really good fun. It does look amazing, actually. Can you just describe the room that we're sitting in? Because we're in, we're in the corner on a nice, nice little uh, grey sofa. Describe the rest of it. You've got my bike over there now um, on the... It's not even a turbo, is it? But it, it looks like a flashy thing. Uh, yeah, so I, I inherited this this office. I think it's like 600 square foot. Um, mic drop. <laughs> and, yeah, sort of thought, right, let's apportion this up. So we've got, yeah, our nice little seating area in one corner. We've got the turbo trainer and all the computers in one corner for, for the bike fitting. And then... Yeah, a little workshop area because you can't fit a bike to someone without cutting or chopping something these days. And, you know, the lovely integrated bikes we've got that mean that you've got to take the whole thing apart and bleed brakes to change change a stem length. So we have a nice little workshop area and then display of all the products that, that we've got. And you know, that that's kind of the whole idea that this can be a centre where if we need something, we've got it. So there's a massive, got a massive range of saddles and shoes, which are the big things that, that we do, but then handlebars, aero bars, cleats, because everyone comes in with worn cleats. Um, You'd I'm, be pleased to know we changed mine last night. Oh, <laughs> in preparation. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and then other bits and pieces that, that we might need. It looks absolutely brilliant. It does look really, really good. And you were saying, Ryan, that actually you raced at a sort of pro-am level but then you had to stop. Yeah, so I, I sort of yeah, tra- trained carefully and was never really good any, as a junior. Um, could, you know, just I won things because I was the only junior. But that was this is you know, pre twenty twelve when no one wanted to be a cyclist. Uh, and so you know, I had a taste of coming home with a, with a check for ten pounds because I was the only junior to ride fifty miles. 
And then, yeah, I think as I sort of got turned got turned twenty or so, I started training quite hard, and you know, yeah, started to get to a point where as a senior, I, I could win a bike race, I could you know qualify for elite national champs, and then through a weird sort of series of events, two thousand nineteen found that that I've got a heart condition. Um, one of those awful conditions that exercise makes worse and so it was absolutely straight stop stop no more exercise um, and yeah so everything I'd worked for just just went uh, it, you know it also caused me to, to lose my job at the time and you know, go through this massive identity crisis where you know I've yeah got no career anymore I've got no sport anymore and yeah it was a re- real real dark time and then we went into a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> so like you couldn't you couldn't have timed it any worse um and that's where yeah tinkering with bikes came from sort of what after a nice you know low stress job you know life and you know, I'd worked in a bike shop as a boy and I thought oh, let's just let's come home back 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 to the mighty Wrexham and yeah let's just tinker with bikes and yeah now yeah I wouldn't even say it feels like work we're just having a laugh and yeah I've got that amazing thing where yeah I don't feel like I'm at work oh. and I, I think you know, it's very lucky that I've decided to become a bike fitter uh, and a coach and there, there, there isn't anyone else that bike fits in North Wales which you could say was a, an amazing business plan but it was pure luck of I realised you know, by chance that I was quite good at something and you fell into it and but yeah that's it's all luck um Suppose I know you've got you've got to okay there there'll be bits of luck but you've got to make things happen as well. Yeah, yeah, and it, to be brutally honest, bike fitting wasn't even my idea; it was my my wife's idea. <laughs> she she's sort of like, anyway, I, I I suppose after losing cycling, I turned to coaching because those who can't teach, um, and you that really got got me back in the. The sport and cycling world and you know, I, I now probably get more of a buzz from coaching someone to do well than than doing well myself um there's more pressure because I can't control it um not that I'm a control freak but yeah I, it was the sort of you know coaching was going well but I was always dubious as to whether you could be a full-time coach as a job mm. and yeah my wife sort of somehow on social media sort of saw advertisements for bike fit training she was like why don't you do this and I was like, yeah, maybe. And then thought, well, it's only money. Let's, let's, let's sign up. And was hooked straight away. And that, you know, as a you know, data analyst kind of person, the, yeah, the now that bike fitting isn't just sort of plumb bobs and looking at people as software and data, it was like it massaged that, that nice part of my brain. Because that, that, was, that was your background, wasn't it, previously? Yes, yes. so, so I you had a short short eight year career in in the Royal Air Force where I was a was a data analyst so yeah I suppose that's why I was quite good at maths in school like n- n- numbers of my friend so like you, you'll see we'll, we'll go through all the data later when we're, we're doing bike fits and you know there's, there's a spreadsheet for everything and yeah so it kind of just like yeah, ticked all those boxes of bikes numbers and yeah as a boy in the bike shop I'd spent years you know being a bike mechanic so adjusting bikes is kind of dead easy for me so it kind of like this was the venn diagram of what i'm good at bike fitting sits exactly in the middle of it all um by yeah so it's by chance by you know everything happens for a reason so um yeah don't need to question it just carry on doing it because there's i'm sure when i spoke to ben goodfellow yes he you'd helped him hadn't you with some coaching i'm sure yes yes so ben was like one of my my sort of like test the water subject okay. so like when I when I sort of said I'm going to try coaching going I've done a bit of a qualification but let's see I put in you know I was a member of the Wrexham Roads Club as, as a boy and sort of put in their Facebook group I'm looking at starting coaching does anyone want to be a guinea pig um you know I'm not going to ask for, mo- for money other than money to co- cover the costs and I remember some some I remember the thread and someone bullied Ben and said, Yes, Ben, speak to Ryan, you need to do something. Uh and so yeah, Ben was one of my three guinea pigs. And then it kind of yeah, escalated from there. Oh, I love that. And then what are we gonna do today, Ryan? Because obviously I have the Pan Celtic race. So what is this gonna be? Seventeen hundred kilometres. 
um, I guess as fast as we want to make it. Uh, I'm going to do it on my road bike. Um, it's a little trek over there. What What are you thinking of doing to it today? Uh, so the, the first thing is, is we're going to just get you on the bike and just see how you're pedaling. The first thing we sort of need to sort out is saddle height. Saddle height doesn't really matter what you're doing because your legs don't change length whether you're racing a time trial or you know climbing a mountain. Um, so we will get the saddle height right. We'll use the really funky saddle pressure monitoring kit that we've got and we'll see exactly how you're sitting on the bike because clearly we want to try and make that saddle as comfortable as possible for you know 10, 15 hours a day. Um, so the big thing we need to do is make sure that you're not moving and rocking on the saddle because that friction over hours and hours is just going to just equal sores. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing that uh, chamois cream can fix with that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, buckets of chamois cream. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll have a look because saddles and shoes is what I spend all my days talking okay. about because saddles are such a difficult conversation to have with people because mm. it hurts in places and it's yeah. quite an intimate thing. So the saddle pressure kit is really good in that it sits between you and the saddle yeah. and with all its pressure sensors, measures... What, what what's going on so, oh amazing so it's a really rare piece of kit i won't tell you how much it is because it's eye-watering because there's it basically looks like a piece of cloth yeah <laughs> it, it looks like you know when you go to halfords you God. buy something to make your saddle comfy um <laughs> like a cover yeah yeah it, it looks like a gel cover but um wow. it's yeah there's i think at the last count there's 12 people in the uk that have got one of these uh, and yeah just inside Wales makes me the only person in Wales. Oh, damn. Which is tea. a great little selling point. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we, we can actually see what's going on. It'll, you see, measure the pressure in certain locations. Mm-hmm. And so most of the time when someone comes in saying, I have saddle pain, it comes up and they go, that's where it hurts. And so rather than having to try and describe this really difficult thing, yeah. we can see it. Oh, and amazing. it sort of takes that awkward conversation out of it. And we can go, right, well, this is where it hurts. We can see that you, you've got a thousand millibar of pressure in a really high blood flow region. Let's change the bike and see what happens. Yeah. And so we can actually you know, try six or seven saddles in you know, half an hour and instantly tell you which one's going to work for you. I think the biggest thing in bike fitting is doing something and sitting there and going, how does that feel? Actually getting feedback from the person that's going to do it. Yeah. Because you know, it doesn't matter to me, really. Other than that, I want to ha- continue to have a good reputation, but I'm not going to have to pedal it. And sometimes you've got to talk people round in that, you know, as humans, we, we don't like change. And, and I now have a career in change. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's, you know, body, particularly if someone's ridden a bike in one position for a long period of time, their body's going to resist the change. Not because it's wrong, because it's different. And so it's not uncommon for people to sort of come you know, speak to me you know, a month after their bike fit and go, for the first week I was thinking, what on earth has this idiot done to my bike? And then it clicked and every ride is, is a new PB. Wow. And it's just that you know, the body will resist change and then eventually it'll just give in and it'll be yeah, amazing. Other people are, are quite adaptable. Um, and yeah, you know, with the first ride they go, oh my God, this is amazing. But yeah, it, it, I do spend a lot of time pre-warning people that this might feel a little bit weird. Yeah. I, and so the biggest thing is, yeah, don't go for a bike fit the week before an event. Um, Ryan, do you think that everybody who has a bike could benefit from having a bike fit? But pretty much, yeah. I, you know, there's, I try and be really honest. If someone comes in and we do an initial assessment and go, you know what, there's nothing we can do here, then I will happily hold my hands up and say, you've nailed that fella. And let you know, I'm not going to sit here and take 150 quid off someone for telling them that they've got it right. But you know, I'd say in the time I've been doing this, only one person has been like that. Everyone else I've made some changes to, even if it's just something as simple as cleat position or you know, just maybe tweaking a handlebar. But yeah, there's... It, it depends how far out you are, but you know, as rules, I suppose 80% of the people I see have their saddle too high. It's quite... Uh, and that, that's mostly because the trend and the research has changed. So we, you know, we used to think about, oh, let's get our saddle as high as possible because we want to extend our leg. But all that does is it makes you really good at pushing down and there's a whole other half of the pedal stroke that 
that you don't use or that it then overworks your quads and you can see people that have got these massive developed quad muscles that then actually get so strong that it pushes their kneecap out and gives someone knee pain so yeah 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 i can't see any you know it being of a negative effect to anyone mm. even if it's just for that peace of mind of yeah i'm as good as i can be and the other thing which i you, you do hear of her is oh oh, but it's like, I can't justify spending 150, 200 quid on something, which, you know, I guess if you're spending 200 quid on a piece of kit, like, well, let's just say... How much are the tyres on your bike? Right, very expensive. Go on, how much are my tyres? So, well, a GP5000 is yeah. like, what, 75 quid a tyre? There you go, right? So a pair of tyres is a bike fit. There you go, okay. So why why should you spend 150 quid instead of two tyres? Oh, bike fit doesn't wear out. <laughs> And it's not going to give you a puncher. <laughs> um, but it's that investment in yourself. It's, it's like the same thing as you know, people going to see their physio on a re- regular basis. People who get it are like, oh my God, that 40 quid a, you know, every other week is a massive, you know, massive benefit. And it's, it's the same with a bike fit. In the, particularly if people are competitive, well, you know, we can realistically find someone a mile an hour in speed. Over a, an Olympic try, that's still three minutes. How much would you pay to go three minutes faster? This is the point, right? Exactly. So it's an investment. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, I think because it's not quite tangible yeah. in that you've not got a nice pair of tyres in your hand, it can be difficult for people to get. And I think there's this sort of little misconception that well, cycling isn't comfortable. It's the, you know, it, if it's not hurting, you're not training kind of thing. And yes, we're within reason that, yeah, you know, if you're trying to train, your legs get hurt. You know, if you're riding zone one everywhere, then you're not going to get fitter. But... Yeah, there's certain things that, you know, if your saddle hurts after 30 minutes of sitting on it, that can be solved. Yes, it's probably not going to be comfortable if you're doing, you know, at the end of an Ironman leg. But it shouldn't be cutting you in half. And it's, you know, little things that, you know, well, if you've been riding the wrong handlebar width for five years, well, that little niggle you get in your shoulder is that. Or, or uh, people through their daily lives, do things, you know, like working from home desks on laptops, you see mm. loads of people, you know, rolling their shoulders and getting so used to being like that for in the day that on the bike they sit exactly the same. And we've got to try and tell people to relax and mm. help people enjoy riding the bike because riding the bike's the best part of sport. Riding, oh, totally, totally. I think um, we, I guess you're going to get me on the bike in a mo. And one thing I we can maybe talk about is obviously being such a long way on a bike over what a week or something like that i think numb hands is quite common a thing so, isn't it and also i do remember from just from cycle touring that we've done yeah. before um just the the back towards like yeah. really sort of tight sore back and so i can already see why you get numb hands so see these wear patches here yeah i can see the wear patches but also see how they're not even yep <laughs> so some, something is making you sit wonky on that bike yep. Yep. And actually where you're wearing the handlebar, it's probably, when, we'll see when we get you pedalling, it's probably pressing into a certain nerve ending mm-hmm. as the ulnar nerve that causes the hands. Should we get me on the bike? Yeah, let's do it. Someone's looking at every move that you make. Yeah. yeah so I, I already know what's causing your numb hands. Yeah. See how you're holding the bars there? Yeah. So what you're doing... Putting all the... So if you want to just stop pedalling... Yep. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, uh, some of it is now the bike's not letting you put your hand in the right place, but sitting there, you can see you put the pressure there. Yeah. So this is where the yeah, the ulnar nerve goes really close to the surface of the skin. Yeah. Ulnar nerve is the same thing as your funny bone, mm-hmm. just less sensitive. Um, so pressure there can give you pins and needles, numb hands. Some people, um, you know, one guy, it was like gives you like a dead arm feeling and all sorts. Not, not great. Um, so by sitting on the bike like that, that's exactly what you're doing. Yep. Whereas actually, we've got this really nice muscular part of the hand here that has no blood flow or very little blood flow. You can see how slow the capillary refill is. Yes. Yeah. That can take a load of weight and yep. it not be a problem. So basically, but, move the hands more. Yeah. But right now, if you put your hands really far forward on the shift as well, they should be. Yeah. But that feels like you're overreaching. Yeah. You're straight away, your shoulders roll forward. Yeah. And you start shrugging. Yep. So the bike at the moment isn't letting you put your hands yeah. in that perfect position. Yeah. So, but we, we, we will change that. 
Cool, right then. So if you just want to stop. First things first this. is your pressure on the saddle is really low. Mm -hmm. But you're obviously not particularly heavy, so that's going to relate to that as well. It's quite a soft saddle, so there won't be too much pressure. So I am running the kit really sensitive. But when we run it sensitive, see how you're just naturally, even in that upright row position, sitting right at the front of the saddle. So uh, we can see you. We, there's a small channel to the saddle, which is why the pressure's sort of side by side. But you are leaning more in on the right, and we can see where when we actually see your sit bones, which are just about making contact, you can see your right sit bone is doing a bit more than your left sit bone. Clearly got you sitting. You're leaning way too far forward on the saddle, which is only going to make you sore. <laughs> sore, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, see this little white squiggle? So yeah. That's your centre of gravity and how it moves. So your centre of gravity is you know, over the front of the saddle, but it's not rocking side and side. You know, there's no huge movement. But you can see that just generally, you know, the trace just moves forward. So you, uh, do you find that sort of you, you feel like you keep resetting yourself on the saddle? I did find, so having yeah, raced recently, Yeah. I was very fidgety in the second yeah. half of it. And really fidgety. Some of that will be, you know, yes, you're, if you're progressing forward all the time, you will run out of saddle, mm. you'll reset. And that's where we get this. You can see I love numbers. This is the false time graph. So you can kind of see how you're like moving forward on the saddle. Yeah. Little reset. And we start moving forward on the saddle again. And these are your sit bones doing square root of nothing. That's amazing. So every, all that pressure is on that perineal area. Yeah. So high blood flow, high sensitivity, not great. No. For, for men and women. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually now, the research is kind of saying the perineal pressure for men is worse. Particularly as you age and your yeah. prostate enlarges, yeah. pressure on your perineal, pressure on your prostate, which is really not good. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. In fact, in the same for women though, you get people that set you you know that person that always needs the toilet on the ride? Yes. You. They've gone for a wee at the cafe stop. Oh, that's me. Get back on. It's because of that. <laughs> Perineal pressure yep. make, makes you need the toilet. So it's a massive red flag. Mm. And yeah, you know, men of a certain age need the toilet all the time. But, yep. or, well, or well, anyone of a certain age needs the toilet a lot. But yeah, when someone just gets on the bike and in the first 10 minutes needs the toilet, yep. it's because the pressure's in the wrong place. Um, and then there was, there's a few people that, oh, one guy, you know, very you know, nonchalantly the other week was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the day after a long ride, I can't go to the toilet. And he thought that was normal. Wow. So, like, no, no, no. Oh. This is unhealthy. Like, forget performance, this is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all because the pressure's in my place. Wow. Sit bones, by the very name, yeah. we can sit on them, yeah. buried inside you know, gluteus maximus. There's not that much blood flow, loads of muscle. We want to sit on them, mm -hmm. particularly for your end goal. Yeah. It's different when you're in a time trial position. I was going to say, because I'm going to be more upright, yeah. aren't I? Yeah, because in a time trial position, you sacrifice comfort for speed. Because if you're going 10 miles an hour quicker, it's over sooner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you can get away with that. But, yeah, yeah. In, in, for this, for big hours, yeah, on the, on we, the saddle. We want to get that saddle underneath you yeah. and supporting you. Yeah. And so we might actually have to talk a little bit about saddle width. Just because yeah. at the moment, like my, the, the setup, it, it's fairly aggressive, isn't it? Yeah, you see, you've got this massive long stem on there. Yeah. It's, a little, you know, it's not a super aggressive bike. No. But yeah, the fit was aggressive. The fit is aggressive, yeah. 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 Which is when you, that's the thing you, a fit isn't a fit, you know, if, if you're going to go and do an Ironman versus a sprint, you could argue that the fit should be different. Mm. You're seeing now at long course triathlon, the positions are getting more and more extreme. But that's because people can eke themselves into it. My sort of little mantra is bike fitting, bike fitting is a process, not an event. Mm. Yes, you know, in a one hit wonder, we can probably solve a lot of issues. But... Where we can get you is going to keep changing. Yeah. If you, if we you know, work out that you've got really tight hip flexors, if you go away and do a lot of work on it, we can then change the position and make you more efficient. Interesting. But we kind of got to keep on, on working with it. Let's go there. So you're trying to pedal really well, but see how we sort of get over here, we drive down with our heels really well, and then just like flick our ankle at the bottom, mm. Mm. just like scooping through. Mm. 
ankle's a really inefficient joint. Don't really want to do that. And that's just getting our Achilles to do work, mm-hmm. which is, you know, by the name Achilles heel, is something that we really want, particularly as a multi-sport athlete. Yeah. The less we can get our Achilles to do, yeah, the better. The better. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of like efficiency factors, you know, we can absolutely make you a significant percentage more efficient on the bike. Yeah, brilliant. Which over ultra endurance, I'm game. I'm game. Is is key. Yeah. So we're just going to sort of compact, obviously put the bike in a little bit of a crusher. Yeah. And bring everything to you yeah. rather than yeah. making you. Yeah. So the feeling we want is that you're not on the bike, you're in the bike. It's not like riding on top of a horse. We want yeah. to be part of this system. So Ryan, talk to me about saddles. Can everybody be comfortable on a bike? Within reason, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. I, you know, I've not found one person yet that I can't you know, at least make better. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to feel like you're sitting on the sofa, but we can certainly make it a lot more comfortable. And th- there's this, this massive misconception, yeah, that you know, riding a bike isn't comfortable. And saddles, are, you know, as you sort of said before, it's, it's such an intimate thing and it's so difficult for people to talk about and everyone's so different that just because someone goes, oh, well, I've got this saddle, it works for me, doesn't mean it'll work for everyone. And, you know, I found, you know, I've got a range of saddles and generally between, you know, I've got four or five favourites that for 80, 90% of people, one of them will work uh, based on how they sit on the bike. But sometimes there's complete outliers. Like, um, I remember with, <laughs> so the, the best uh, story is me and my wife have exactly the same saddle. Do you? Yeah, because I'm six foot four and 90 kilos and she's five foot three and nothing. We both use the same saddle. That was all from frustration. We tried loads and loads of women's saddles and I just went, oh, you know what? Just try this thing <laughs> that I've got. Um, and she was like, oh my God, it fixes things. And obviously it happens to be a really expensive saddle. So now she's got four of them. Um, <laughs> are, there, are, there, are there benefits to female specific saddles? Yeah. I, I would, as a starting point for, for a woman, we would always start with a female specific saddle. Just because the shapes are different. Uh, women naturally having a slightly wider hip need a wider saddle to support their sit bones. But it doesn't always work. And so I, I've got three or four people I've seen, women I've seen that we've ended up with a unisex saddle. Um, just because, according to the data, that, that's what works for them. And for them, it, it worked. Mm. So generally, you find women's saddles are a bit shorter, they're wider, but it's more the fact that they taper at a slower rate. So you can find that if you've got a slightly bigger thigh, that you chafe, when you're sitting in the correct position, you chafe the saddle, whereas you pull out a man's saddle. So in fact, here's, the, here's an example. Men's and women's saddle from the same brand, Ergon, which we're really popular with. Yeah. See the difference? Oh, so the men's man's saddle is longer yes. and thinner. Yeah. And the key thing is the pressure relief. So the yeah. whole women's saddle is much further forward than the man's saddle. And I've had women that actually yeah. prefer one of those, which is fine. Because yeah. that, that's, that's how we're individual. But yeah, I would always recommend a women's saddle. And that's where the difficulty comes when people buy a unisex bike mm. because yeah, not all brands do a women's bike and unfortunately the cycling industry is still coming round to women and I remember the old industry phrase of shrink it and pink it and you not everyone wants a pink bike no I know some people think that the bigger the saddle the more comfortable yeah. or like almost like that the, 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 if it looks a bit more like a sofa cushion then it's going to be more comfortable yeah and Yes, you know, a, a softer saddle will hide some of the woes because it, it will it's soft. But um, it's not necessarily right because if it's too soft, you're going to start rocking on the saddle by indenting into it, which is then going to cause discomfort. Uh, the, the other thing being that just if it's massive, because, yeah, it's nice and wide, yes, if you've got really wide sit bones, that works. But if you run a saddle that's too wide for you, it almost has this sort of funnel effect and you walk forward on the saddle to the narrow bit of the nose and then get the discomfort. So you can sort of be okay and then as you get tired, you move forward or you just find or ride, you're shifting on the saddle and then funneling forward and shifting on the saddle. And it's the same men's, women's saddles, everything. You know, if The width is so important that, yeah, saddles now are getting wider and wider. We look at the old school physique, Arione. 
125 mil wide. It's like a razor blade. <laughs> Generally now a narrow man saddle is 135 to 142 mil. A wide saddle is 145 to 150. Women's, generally their narrow saddles start at 145. You can then even get, you know, a lot of, some women's saddles now going to 155, 160 mil wide because you know, some people have a wider sit bone and they need it. And so, yeah, you can at home do a very quick test of see loads of YouTube videos, sitting on a piece of cardboard and measuring the width of your sit bone. And it's a good starting point. It's not infallible because some people, no matter how much I preach at them, I'm one of them, just can't sit on their sit bones. Particularly people in racy positions or on time trial bikes, they will sit on the nose of the saddle. So it doesn't matter if you've got a really wide sit bone, if you're not going to sit there, what's the point? Yeah. And that's why so Pro make a really good saddle called the Stealth that is designed for that exact reason. So you see how wide that is at the nose. Yeah. So when people want to sit on the nose, it gives them the width. Yeah. So um, yeah, between these Ergons, the Pros and a few little Salatalia things that they're kind Generally of some my, my sort of go-to saddles based on where people sit and you can go, ah, there you go. And what, a, you know, I, I, this is clearly, you, the, the, the best answer is come and see you, but <laughs> right, how, how, how do people find the comfy saddle for them? Because I, I always think that's quite a challenge. It's, is it just a case of going to a bike shop, but not all bike shops let them sit and borrow? What, what can you do? It's really difficult. Um, demo saddle programmes are really useful. Uh, some certain brands, I think Prologo do it, and I think Pro do it, give you like a money back guarantee where you can buy the saddle and if you don't like it within 30 days, you can give it back. Um, but it, it's so difficult. Um, I talk to people that have bought you know, eight, nine saddles and they can't get the right one. Yeah. Uh, I would say then, if you've tried you know, eight or nine saddles and none of them are, are any better than the other, maybe it's not the saddle that's the problem. So it, yeah. it's... The difficulty with bikes and bike fit is that nothing is in isolation. Yeah. It's not like, my little analogy, it's not like a car. If you want your car to stop better, you put better brakes on it. And it affects nothing else other than your braking performance. On a bike, you change the saddle, it changes how you sit on the bike. So it might actually change what your reach needs to be. You change, you change the pedals or the cleats or the cue factor. That changes how you interact with the saddle, which should change that. So everything has this sort of butterfly effect. And so I do a lot of work with people where we're talking about just posture and where to hold the bike. And that actually transforms everything. And, and so sometimes, yeah, people come in, we don't move things a lot, but we just have, it almost becomes a coaching session where we talk about how to pedal a bike properly, how to hold the handlebars or make the handlebars easier to hold. And that solves a lot of the problems. See, there's a message. Come and see Ryan. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Um, It'd be easy if I could do it online, but then I probably wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is a minefield. It's so difficult. And there's so much information out there and YouTube videos and articles about how to fit a bike. And you, everyone, I suppose every bike fitter has their own identity from who they've been taught by, what experience they've got, what technology they've got. And you could go and see five bike fitters and probably end up in five slightly different positions. There's there's a few schools of thought, you know, particularly around saddle height. I'm a big believer in the lower saddle heights, which is something that's come from Phil Burt, who is like the oracle, um, you know, the, the British cycling bike fitter. Um, you can go and see him in Manchester if you've got you know, a lot of money. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how where that's come from. And we'll talk about that later when we talk about pedaling technique and how to how to pedal mm. better. But it's yeah. So everyone's got their own slight identity and not you know, one's probably not more right than the other. It's just how that person ends up with things. Right, Ryan, I'm back on the bike again. Uh, the saddle feels a lot lower and I couldn't get my foot in the cleat. <laughs> yes, so we've, we've completely changed. So the saddle's actually only gone down a centimetre. Yeah. It just feels massive because it's different. Uh, cleats, yeah. So what we've done is we've pulled them really far back in the shoe. So the general rule of thumb for anyone multi-sport and endurance-based is we start with the cleats as far back as they will go and we can progress them further forward if we need to. Okay. Uh, it's all about uh, maintaining a nice flat foot because we're moving the pivot further back. Mm-hmm. We're also going to promote slightly better glute engagement. Okay. There's also a little bit of research out there for multi-sport athletes that a rearward cleat position promotes the use of cycling-only parts of our muscles and it can make it a little bit easier to run off afterwards. Who knew? It's, it's not the 
you know, it's not sort of a absolutely, you know, 100%. There yeah. is a little bit of dispute evidence, but in my book, if there's a chance of it, you've got to try it. To, to make the easy, yes. Yeah. To make it's not going to make you run like and Paul what? Radcliffe off the bike. <laughs> Come but, on. Um, it might actually, you know, when a lot of people get sort of hip flexor cramps mm. off the bike, yeah. it can start reducing the load on the hip flexors and things. That's very interesting. So for the first time recently, actually, um, when I did this triathlon, it was the rocks. So you have to go up Snowdon and then back down and then you cycle back. Nice, easy one. So when I got back to transition just for the final 1K run on the beach, I obviously got off my bike and I went to put my trainers on. I was just like, ah! Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't the only one. I heard someone else with that cramp. yeah. But, but that would have been Snowden, obviously, a lot of stepping. Yeah, yeah. so lo- loads of, sort of hamstring and calf yeah. use. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, if the bike's set up wrong and we're overworking our calf, and as we talked about before, you know, you're misfiring with mm-hmm. that calf, so you, you've gone from loads of calf effort to then using your calf wrong, it, it, it's just compounding issues. Brilliant. Right, so you want me to pedal again? So pedal away now for us. I'm basically just doing another assessment. See how stable they are now, and see how you're now actually bending those arms. Yeah. Without even telling you to do it. Yeah. But uh, perineal orbital pressure is now 166 millibar, which before was 219 millibar. Yeah. So that's what 25% less pressure. Yeah. Well, and so the science says that a 10% change in pressure is instantly noticeable by the rider. Wow. So. To change over that is really good. We're also now seeing you know, pressure for your sit bones. Yeah, this is great news. Which, which is good news. We're, we're using our sit bones. Have you ever seen people riding rollers? Yes, yeah. they always look amazing and I yeah, think, wow. Scary. And so the reason we get kids to learn to ride rollers at like 12, 13, when they've got no fear, is because if you pedal wrong on them, you fall off. It's bi- as binary as anything. Poor pedaling technique, you fall off. Because it's like riding on ice, if you don't pedal smoothly and you just go left, right, left, right, all you do is the bike rocks a few times and then you fall off. So when you pedal correctly, you can go non-handed, you can take a drink and you can show off. Um, what people have this tendency is push down, push down, which is fine because that's how we learn to ride a bike before we clipped in, we learn flat handlebars, push down. We can clip in and we can, we can pull up. Mm. A lot of us don't. We pull up when we're out the saddle, but we don't necessarily do it quite so much as we're, as we're pedaling. But the big thing is everyone talks about top dead centre, our dead spot at 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have very almost no muscular force on the pedals. So what happens is because... So the brain is hardwired to conserve energy. So if it can make things simple, it will do. So the way our brain treats our legs is, without any sort of conscious thought, is it goes, well, if... If my left leg is at 12 o'clock and it's going dead, well, we'll just make the right leg go dead. Like a really rubbish Mr. Miyagi, legs on, legs off. And so that's what happens. And so what happens is as you go through that dead spot, your leg speed slows and then you accelerate down with your quads. And then it slows and then you accelerate down with your other quad. And so you end up with this sort of a oscillating leg speed. Mm. Fast legs, slow legs, fast legs, slow legs. If you're accelerating with every push down, you're just wasting energy because mm. you—it's basically like doing a, a micro Tabata set every single revolution. Because that's what you do: accelerate, 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 accelerate. If we think about being able to pedal in a circle, we can break that cycle. Little pun. Um, we can break that cycle, and you can actually find that someone's leg speed improves. Okay. And you know, cadence is key, as we all know. We all know we want to pedal you know, ninety to one hundred RPM, yeah. and that's how we can do it. Rather than it, it sort of slowing itself down, we can speed it up. So when we go for a pedal in a sec, I don't want you to think about pushing down or pulling up. When you're sort of going you know, five to seven o'clock at the bottom, I want you to think about pulling backwards. Yep. So my little rhyme is flat feet, scrape the cleat. That's it. So we want to think about, it's a bit easier if you start, right. start pe- pedaling. And so get up to speed. I want you to now just think about ripping back. Like you're on a doormat, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, if I show you a live image of yourself. Do you find that one side you can do it more than the other? Yeah, because people have got dominant sides, so I bet you'll find it a bit easier on your right side. 
It's like I find I can do every other with each book. Yeah, that, that's because it takes quite a bit of cognitive ability to think about it. But you can straight away feel it in your hamstrings yeah. when you do that. Because you're engaging that muscle that hasn't really been doing a lot. Yeah. And then shortly after, your calves will start to burn because it's quite a calf-heavy uh, movement. If we just add a bit more resistance, it should be a bit easier. That's it. But suddenly, flat feet. flat feet scrape the cleat. And so you can do something as simple as put a little sticker on your stance as flat yep. feet. Every time you look down at it, <laughs> you'll, you'll start to think about it. Proper psychological warfare, but it works. Right, there you go. Uh, in fact, just keep going. We'll just take a video. Flat feet scrape the feet. See straight away. How, now, the rest of the position goes to ruin a little bit because you're concentrating on yeah, that. Yeah, I was and, concentrating. But see how good that is now. And actually, see that muscle definition. See yes. how much things really yeah. working. Yeah. And so we're now taking this from a quad dominant position yeah. to a leg dominant position. Yeah. So if you're asking loads from your quads, yeah. they will tire. If we now ask a little bit less from our quads and a bit more from our hamstring and our calf, mm. it will take longer for your leg as a system to get tired. Yeah. So we extend your own endurance without doing any training. <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. You know, how much money would you pay for that? Well, yeah. So it, and that, that's you know, the value in, in this kind of thing. And it's not going to happen overnight. No. Because we're, learning a skill as an adult is hard. Mm -hmm. Relearning a skill is you know, almost impossible. But if you were to think about that action for, say, 10 minutes of bike ride. Yes. Before long, it will just start to become that muscle memory. And you'll do it without even noticing. And what, what impact does that have? Then, when you come to run off the bike, for example. So, again, you know, if you've put less load through your quads, mm. which are then going to get impacted in the run, mm. it should make it a little bit easier to run. It's also going to keep all, the whole leg warm, yeah. rather than just focusing on that one muscle. Yeah. And just, just share that load, mm. which is the big thing. is just using your leg as a system, rather than just focusing on smashing down. Yeah. And that's where these lower saddle heights have come from. Yeah. So before, you know, a nice high saddle height, let's extend our leg as much as we can, let's push yeah. down. Yeah. But our body doesn't like to work at this extended range of the motion. You know how, like, if you try and do a bicep curl with a straight arm, it's impossible. Yeah. If you pre-bend your arm, it's nice and easy. Yeah. Same with our leg. If we overextend our leg on the way down, there is no way on this earth we're going to be able to pull up. So yeah. we take, the, take that away from our body, which yeah. is why you'd have learned to pedal so push down because yeah. we have that saddle so high. Yeah. So by sitting lower, yes, you know, we will lose efficiency in the downstroke, 100%. But what we gain in the rest of the stroke more than outweighs that. And then we also sit square on the saddle because rather than Stomping. left, right, rocking, yeah. we sit square, we maintain a square pelvis, we pedal in a circle. And that's pedaling in a nutshell. Uh, not as easy as it sounds. But, yeah, lot, lots to work on. The, the best time to practice that is climbing. Yeah. Do you know how everyone says, I hate hills, I'm no good at hills? Yeah. Because they're pedaling wrong. So Flat I'm, feet, scrape the, the cleat. That's it. And so, you know when you get that urge to get out the saddle? It's because your quads are tired. Mm. Getting out the saddle uses your hammies and your calves. So when you get that urge to get out the saddle, use that as the mental trigger for, right, let's pedal flat-footed. Cool. I bet if you go and do, do some hill reps and you don't think about it and you think about it, you'll go quicker, 100%. So, Ryan, we've talked saddles, we've done pedalling, um, still here. Still here. Still working away. <laughs> what are you doing now? Because you are working blooming hard with so, me today. Uh, you, you <laughs> so we're just going to try a shorter stem. So we can see that even though we've talked about hand position, that... When you're not thinking about it, you're just still pulling those hands back on the handlebars. Yeah. And with, you know, with a long day in the well, long days in the saddle coming up, we, you know, and when you're tired, you're going to just continue to do that. Yeah. So, let, let's pull the hand handlebars back towards you, so that it takes the thought away from it. Yeah. Um, it will. It is a slightly less racy position. So, you, know, you can see your previous stem was fitted for making the bike racy. Right? Definitely. Yeah. So it's it's horses for courses, and we've got to try and adapt the bike now for a completely different use. So we'll just try and make the bike nice and comfy because speed isn't isn't always the, the answer in a, in a pan-Celtic. Oh, goodness. And if, right, so, you know, you you are enabling me to be as comfortable as possible Absolutely. on my bike. 
if then I was doing an Olympic distance and I wanted to be as quick as possible, like I'd come back and we'd we'd go back through it, right? Yes, yeah. And so I always offer a a sort of return checkup service with with the bike fits because yeah, if something's not quite right or we're you know, particularly with you, we talked a lot about adap- adaptation and that we've set I've set something that I believe to be right but the data doesn't prove that yet because your body's maintaining its muscle memory from before. My body's so, being awkward. <laughs> in, in a short sense, yeah. So it's, it's natural as humans, we will resist the change. So even though I'm pretty confident we've got it right, your body will try and make it look wrong in the data. So we, we can have to kind of question the data sometimes, which is why technology isn't the be on end all. We need someone that can interpret it. Uh, so it's it's always good to see someone come back and go right. Let's have a check six eight weeks later how you're now sitting on this bike, and we can go. All right, we were almost there. Let's do this. Or oh no, we've gone a little bit too far. Let's tone it back. But yeah, the front end position is where things would change. So yeah, we probably go right. We we want what we, aerodynamics becomes a, a key thing. Let's make you more aerodynamic. Because I remember one of the things because we had a we had a good chat on the phone before actually coming in here and we were talking through and you actually said that my body may well be different after the pan-Celtic race because yes. and so why is that what 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 might happen <laughs> so as, as humans we're, we're constantly changing and so yeah we put we put you when you do something as massive as that you're going to you know, break down muscle and you're going to build muscle so if you suddenly build you know, re, you know or do the pan-Celtic and then have super super tight hip flexors because of it we can't then get you in a super aerodynamic position because we're just going to reduce power output. So we've got to try and understand what's going on. You might suddenly get you know, chronic saddle issues, which you know, with all the work we've done today shouldn't happen, or you might get really sensitive hands. And it, lots can happen. Um, you, you, you might find that, oh, because of all this, I've, re- I've really now got a sore shoulder and neck. So we then need to take that into account with what we're doing. You know, I, I'm more than happy for people, you know, six, eight months after a, after a bike fit, just to say, oh, this is happening, what do you think? And we can say, right, okay, try this. Or I'm thinking of a new bike, what do you think will fit me? And we can go, right, okay, well, looking at what we did to your bike, I reckon maybe let's go, you know, if you're looking at, say, you know, this brand, let's look at this size or this model, particularly when you a brand will offer an aero bike, a race bike, a climbing bike, an endurance bike, a gravel bike. <laughs> it's such a minefield that, yeah, you can work as a team and go, right, well, what do you want to do? Oh, well, I just want to be really comfy. Right, well, we looked at you last time and we did put a shorter stem on your bike and we pulled your, you know, pulled your stack height as high as possible. So let's look at an endurance bike because it will come naturally higher and naturally shorter. So we're picking the bike that fits you rather than you fitting the bike. Yeah. And it's just all that sort of constant teamwork and... Hopefully, yeah, you, by responding to someone's email saying, oh, buy this bike in this size, they might come back for a quick fit on it. Definitely. Um, and, and Ryan, how do you actually like go about finding, okay, maybe not everyone can come up to North Wales. Clearly, everybody should come up to, to see you, right? But if they can't, how do they go about finding a bike fitter who is, you know, like a reputable bike fitter? Yeah, this is a really good question. Bike, bike fit is a completely unregulated industry. You know, anyone can just decide they're a bike fitter. And you do find uh, a lot of bike shops will just, you know, through a bit of knowledge and maybe a little bit of training from one of the brands that they sell, have you know, offer a bike fit service. But there's uh, bike fit training itself is done through a few different providers. So you know, if someone's got an official bike fit qualification, they should be you know, at least half decent at it. The key th- big thing is there's uh, something called the International Bike Fit Inst- Institution, or IBIFI. Their accreditation process is really quite stringent. And so it, to become a level one accredited fitter, you have to have done 300 bike fits. Wow. So it's not something you can just walk into. And so they measure it on yeah, experience, technology, and, and training. So it's like a weird matrix thing. And you say, well, I've done this many fits. I've got this technology, I can offer this, I've done this training from these people, and they give you an IBIFI score, and if you meet a threshold, you're level one, if you meet a threshold, you're level two. Um, and so yeah, they're probably the, the sort of industry standard way of finding someone. And, and then it's just, just reputation, you know, mm-hmm. lo- locally, people will go, oh, I've seen so, you know, I've been to see so-and-so for a bike fitter, and you know, generally, if someone says, oh, I was looked after really well, that that's going to 
be a good starting point. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the, the Abithi is um, the place to look at. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, realistically, you you're not what's like one bike fit a day for a year to get accredited, which is quite quite a lot. It's, lots. it's, it's someone that's a full time bike fitter. I think that that's the big distinction between someone that does it because it's another job as well as selling bikes versus someone like myself now that yeah, it's all I do. Yeah. And I think when someone's got their own studio and it's their job, they've got to be good at what they do because otherwise they wouldn't be able to make a living. I, and that's probably the big distinction. It's why I left the bike shop environment to do this because it does give you a bit more gusto and pe- people are going to trust you. And I think just being able to be independent works because you a lot of people are reluctant to go into a bike shop uh, to have a bike fit because they think they're going to be sold a bike. Or they're not going to quite get impartial advice, you know, which is you, by the very nature. If someone says, ah, oh, that bike's the wrong size for you. However, this you know, brand X that we sell, they're going to do that because that's their job. Whereas you know, I can quite happily go, oh, well, you want to buy a Canyon that you can't buy in shops? Yeah, that'll fit you. I can be impartial. I will also I will have my favourites. There's brands I prefer, but... You know, generally we can be quite impartial because it, it doesn't matter to me if you come in with you know, with whatever because as long as I can fit it and as long as it uses Allen keys, uh, I, you know, I can fit it. So, um, yeah, it's just how it, it is reputation and experience. I love this. And uh, Ryan, just as you want one final little question, I think, um, and then we'll you know, get back on here and try the shorter stem. Um what what would you love to achieve in the world of bike fitting? I mean, I think you've done quite a bit in such a short space of time. I, I never really set out with any any goals. You know, I, I, I'm. It'd be really nice to to be able to sort of work with someone and go, you know, they won something big because I helped them. Yeah, you know, and that's it. I just like helping people. But being able to, you know, that locally it's great when I go. Oh well, you know, I fitted their aero position and they won a won a race by a second. I can go, oh, I was part of that. So it'd be great to, you know, ha- you know, if someone very influential in the world was like, oh, yeah, I want you to fit me. I, I, that would be the, the biggest reward possible, that someone that, you know, a professional athlete says, oh, well, you know, little old Ryan in Wrexham can, yeah, I, I want you. I think that would be, yeah, yeah. That, that, the proper heartwarming of, oh, you know what, I, I've made it. Yeah. But we'll see. I'm happy working with anyone, as long as they'll listen to my rubbish chat. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. I can highly, highly recommend Ryan. I did a 210 kilometer Audax the day after seeing him. Really the, the not the right thing to do, by the way. Don't do that. You should probably give yourself a little bit of time for your body to adapt after a bike fit. But anyway, it is called time management. So the Audax, that was a pretty cool experience, to be honest. If you don't know what an Audax is, it's basically a self-supported cycle ride. It's got to be completed within a set time limit, including any stops to eat or to rest. The one that we did, it cost about 10 quid. They gave us a route and there are certain checkpoints along the way that you have to pass through and get ticked off. So either by proving that you've been there, it's very retro, you have to get a receipt, um, or maybe you have to answer a question, a bit like, as Lowry said, a treasure hunt, or it could be like we had at the first checkpoint, someone was there with a car boot open, load of cake to go at and water as well shout out to janet who even bought butter along for the marabrith that is what i call organized so yeah lori who i am doing the pan celtic race with and i had signed up for this 210k audax it started about a 20 minute drive away from where i live we did not ride there to add on i don't know an extra what would that have been who knows 40k total maybe I don't know anyway we didn't do that but we had such a good day so there were 23 of us doing the 210k Lori and I were actually the only females and apart from one crappy little comment at the start the guys that we did it with could not have been more friendly I loved absolutely loved the chilled nature of it I find or I used to find because I haven't done one for ages time trials quite quite intimidating with everyone warming up on rollers with this one there were what 15 20 of us just sitting around in that village hall drinking tea and eating biscuits it's a little bit more chilled out no one's there 
to race. It was just about spending time on a bike, doing a beautiful route, because generally the routes are pretty quiet roads. And we had the most glorious weather, which obviously made it. And it made me think, oh, yeah, I'll do that again. I'm pretty sure I will do that again. I, I, I did really enjoy it, actually. Anyway, that's about the cycling, more about swim, bike, run. As I mentioned at the start of this episode about my mum, Ruth, who only went and decided to do a triathlon at the age of 71. Now, mum, people who listen to the podcast a lot Mm. might know that last year you did a 100k overnight ride Mm. for your 70th birthday to Mm. celebrate another year on planet Earth. Mm. What made you want to sign up for a triathlon? It's always been on the radar. I did the 5K your way in January, jogged a bit more than usual than the previous months where I'd walked. And I thought, oh God, go, just do it. And literally that weekend after the last of the January, I signed up. But but many people would be... They wouldn't well, even have it on their radar. Is it... I had you been inspired? You. What is it? No, but why not? Right, okay. So why not? Well, you kept it quiet from me for a while. Oh, I didn't tell you for ages. Why? Well, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't tell you. <laughs> okay, so obviously you, you had hit enter. You hadn't really told anybody apart from Dad and you. Um, were you excited by it? No, but I suppose it gave me... Well, you need to go for a little whatever you need to go and do a little swim you need to it's about because i would try and do some exercise every day okay so it was i suppose giving it a bit of purpose and focus but deep down no idea why okay well that's all right and, and then it got to about three weeks before my birthday and a couple of friends would buy me a present and i thought i don't want a present i'd rather you sponsored me for doing the swim bike run okay and I didn't call it a triathlon because in my head it was having a little swim little bike ride and a little jog now mum when did you learn to swim because I think this is quite an interesting thing when did you learn to swim how old were you about over 30 34 then and we were going to Wrexham pool and I thought gosh if you're swimming I need to be able to and someone taught you Jean taught me how to swim and basically how really how to keep yourself safe by and and how to do breaststroke right yes but i've never done anything never had any swimming lessons never never done anything since then but you are able to swim head up breaststroke yes oh and i have had my face in the water sometimes but i haven't done it maybe for 20 years with my face in the water and taking myself off for a swim would not be really on my radar but I did swim when we were last in Australia. Um, I swam in the sea this year in Australia. and But I didn't take myself to the pool because the water's quite deep and I still panic in deep water. But the, as you know, the deep water in Wrexham's in the middle. So you just kind of like swim through that bit and hope for the best. See, this is why I think entering a triathlon is so far out of your comfort oh, zone. God. It was, honestly. And if ever I was to do it again, my next challenge would be to take myself and go to Cardiff and spend a couple of nights down there and go to... Dave Tonge. Yes, that's what I, that would be my next challenge. Because if he can help the 84 years young gentleman that was on your podcast, then he can help somebody who's 71 years young. Age is just a number, as I keep telling my friend. It is only a number. So do what you feel like. Because this is it. Because I think some people would still be doing, you know, they, they, you know, triathlon for them at 70 might be normal because they might have been doing it for 15, 20 years. But I even think about running and you know, again, please don't take offence to this, but you hadn't run for ages. We did the Great North Run together in when, when I was 18. Yeah. So, what, 22 years ago? Yeah. And, and you'd done it a couple of times after that as well. You think you've done it three, three yes, or four but times? Yes, it would be a mix... But I wouldn't have a training plan, and it would be a mixture of running and walking. Yeah. 
but when we did it, do you remember? Do we do it? Was it like three and was it three and a half, three and three quarter hours, three oh and a no, quarter? We were under three the first time. Yes, yeah, okay. we were under so, three okay. definitely. But I wasn't the quickest girl on the planet by but, by any means. But it's but you hadn't you hadn't run for ages, and I'm not a runner. Full stop. But but I. But you are a triathlete. I'm a triathlete. <laughs> <laughs> you are a triathlete. Did you did you enjoy the day? Um, once I got out the pool, I did panic in the pool and I was wishing it to come to an end so much. And I just remember seeing the lifeguards on the side with their um, floats thinking, will they be throwing it in? And in the last length, I thought to myself, I'd love to walk this last bit. No, just get on, do it, go for it. And then once I was out, then out of my bike and I was a happy girl and it would take me a couple of K till I got my breathing back again properly after the basically the panic attack really in yeah. the swim yeah and and making and getting some fluid on board too and then just kept going and i enjoyed the bike i even overtook a couple of people on my bike and um then coming back into nantwich i overtook another girl or um yeah girl and then I saw her on the run and she was walking and I, so having overtaken her she must have been quicker in transition than me because I had a little drink and something to eat and then um, I said oh is this your first or second lap she said second I said come on we can do this because there'd be so many people who would want maybe want to do it but can't do it for whatever reason maybe they haven't got their lungs aren't working very well maybe they've had chemo whatever come on we can do this we can do this. And so we jogged a bit, we walked a bit, and she said to me, I want to run the last bit because I want my family to see me run in. So I said, okay, we'll do a bit. And she would say where we jogged to. And then she went past me. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. You help her, she sprints past you at the end. Yeah. But I think she was grateful that I... Yeah, cause Helped she, her, motivated her. Yeah. And how... I did tell her I was 71 years young. Good. Yeah. What did she say? Never. Yeah. How yeah. did you feel at the finish, having done it? We've... Um, relief, a bit of emo, and just I couldn't believe that uh, the people that were there, like Sue and Chris, Christine had come, and then you were there. And Liz was there. Liz was there. So you had a good little oh, cheering on crew. Lowry was yeah. there. yeah. And hearing you shout me out in the pool, come on, mum, you can do this, it is encouraging. Yeah. Did you feel? Did you feel proud? Do you feel proud? I do feel proud, and I feel yeah, I am chuffed. And from that, nearly eight hundred pounds for move, and that's really special, because if it can help, you know, younger people, that's mm. really important. In fact, any age really, because of all the work that move do. Amazing, wow. amazing. Has it given you a bit of... Almost like this little air of confidence that actually I can take on something else, or...? Um, I think I was tired last week. But, yeah, I'm sure once I back up and really... Firing. Yeah, then I'll think of something else to do. Is that right? Who knows? If I do it next year and could... I'll be a year younger, not, but maybe I could do a minute quicker. And when I looked at the results... But there were 15 people slower than me. Yes. <laughs> and anyone else your age, Mum, in that? Um, I think there might have been one other 71-year young person. I can't remember if it was... And, but I think there might have been a couple of 71-year-old uh, men. But even in 5K Your Way on Saturday, there weren't any other 71 years young Ladies, so that means you uh, were fastest in the age group. <laughs> do, do you get that sense of feel-good factor from it? Yes, yeah. And then from that, I went off to do a dance class. So I thought that was a bit amazing. You are quite, you are quite something. <laughs> well, we've got one chance. We have to make the most of every single day. Can't waste it. Life is for living, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Oh. I think you do that down to a team, Mum. <laughs> so who's joining me next year of your listeners? 
Well, there we go. There's the challenge. You already signed someone up in the uh, in a restaurant the other yes, day. Yes, I need to email her. But yeah, I've signed somebody. I've encouraged somebody else. And who was there at Park Run? Yeah. 5k your yeah. way there was somebody else yeah yeah thought. so you've probably got a little group okay yeah. so if anyone else there you go there's the thing if anyone else fancies either doing their first triathlon feeling a little bit nervous maybe anything like that then um what you're gonna do it next year yeah go on then we'll do it may next year what a woman by the way if you do like what i do when you want to support the podcast you can just head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show that is it for this week you will find links to discounts with form swim and ote sports in the show notes over at inside but for now thank you for listening happy racing happy training and we'll speak again next week Podcast Network.